this is okay. This is natural. It doesn't make you crazy. And I think that's the hardest part is because it's not part of the conversation. Sometimes when people want to share this stuff, their irrational fear is going to step in and tell them that other people are going to think they're crazy. Hi, I'm Tim. This is We're Only Human, a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit. We're having conversations with people like you and me about their strengths, their weaknesses, their ups, their downs, and everything in between. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today, I'm joined by Tim McDonald, who's a husband, father, son. He's the author of the upcoming book, um, or if you're listening to this later in life, uh, the currently published book, The Fear Advantage, which is all about creating a healthy relationship with fear, which I feel like, Tim, is so relevant. We were just talking before I hit record, but you know, recording this now during the kind of the peak of this coronavirus, I, I was going to say epidemic, but pandemic, um, whatever we call it. But uh, I feel like, you know, talking to you and you writing a book about fear and kind of that topic is maybe the universe, you know, connected us uh, at this time. Uh, I remember when I first launched the podcast back last fall of 2019, you reached out and mentioned, um, you know, maybe we could we could do an episode uh, closer to when the book was coming out. And um, I, again, it's just what a coincidence that it happens to be during this time now where I I feel like fear is, at least for me personally, something that I never really considered much. And I feel like now it's popping up every day. So thanks for being here. No, thank you. And uh, I mean, it is timely. And, you know, one thing that I'm very pleased about is the fact that I was really on track to get this book published in the spring. And right at the first of the year, I just knew that there was something I was going through a lot of changes myself and just felt like it wasn't the right time to be pushing myself to get this thing finished. And in the last couple months, especially with what's happening with the coronavirus, it just opening up a whole new um, perspective and case study, I think, on how we can look at, you know, the way fear plays a role in our lives. And so um, now I'm looking more to publish in the fall. So this this is really good timing, uh, both from the perspective of giving more me more content, but also from the perspective of uh, it probably will be out and letting people know about what a little bit of, of the glimpse of what's going to be included in the book that hasn't actually made it into words yet. <laughs> yeah, I do feel like this is it's oh, I have so many thoughts on this. Um, so so many thoughts. I'm. You mentioned you know um, beginning of this year you were going through some changes and kind of pushing off, not pushing off, but kind of delaying your thoughts on the book. What kind of changes were were you going through? Yeah, well, there was a couple really major ones. Um, one was I knew I had been working in a job that I really wasn't um, happy with. And it was not just not being happy. It just was not fulfilling. It was becoming a burden on me almost daily every time I went in. And I knew I was going to be leaving that job. Um, My hope was that I was going to have some other forms of income lined up before I gave my notice. Um, Around that same time was uh, also a time where my mom 
uh, her husband, who's not my my birth father, but has been with her for 30 years, um, had been dealing with cancer for a little over a year and it was getting progressively worse. And so we knew that my mom was going to be going through some changes that we were going to have to be there for her. So I was kind of preparing and getting ready for that. Um, and at the same time, the publisher that I was working with on the book, um, I just felt like I was being um, being put in a situation where I was being forced into doing something on somebody else's schedule instead of on my schedule. And so it was just kind of a combination of all these things that were going on right around the first of the year that made me just say, you know, the thing that's kind of served me well in the past has always been this, let's just hit pause and step back a minute, look what's going on, evaluate the situation, because sometimes we get so close and in, in, in the middle of something that we're not seeing what's happening right around us. And so that's what I wanted to do is just kind of take a take a step back and just evaluate everything that was happening. And like I mentioned, I just I I had just given a talk to a bunch of CIOs down in in Mexico. Um, this this pandemic of of coronavirus going around now and how it's what the actions that we're seeing, especially people here in the states take. Um, it just it's just giving me so much more content to be able to include in this book about fear that I, I'm just so grateful that I took that step back. This whole this whole coronavirus thing is it makes me think. You know, I was looking at your your uh, the website you have for your book, um, and you were crowdfunding for it, and kind of talking about the difference between rational fear and irrational fear, and. I haven't had a lot of time to process this yet, but when I think about like the the fear that I personally feel like I'm experiencing now from this coronavirus thing is it's not even, and I don't know if this sounds bad and I hope it doesn't, but it's not even fear of the virus, you know, wiping out humanity or anything about that, but it's almost the fear of not knowing what our lifestyle is going to be like what has seemed to be like on a weekly basis, but now to me is almost like a, a daily basis. Like, you know, like honestly, like a, a week from now, I'm not sure what our lifestyles are going to look like, but honestly, like tomorrow, I'm not sure. And that just scares the shit out of me. Like you said, it's uh, in, the reason I bring up irrational versus rational fear is like, I don't even think now about irrational, irrational fear versus rational fear. I just think about like, I don't even know what kind of fear that is. You know, to me, it doesn't seem to be, it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, well, and I think it's important um, because I use the words rational and irrational because I don't, you know, just because something's irrational doesn't make it not real. I mean, it's still very real to, to all of us. Um, but I think what you're describing is one of the most common fears because many people that I've I've talked to and, and experienced have not admitted that, you know, that, they necessarily have fear. Um, most of them end up saying they do eventually, but the ones that don't are talking about kind of this, this uncertainty, the unknown, and this anxiety or the stress that comes with that or the, the doubt that comes with that. And that unknown, I think, is one of the greatest fears that most of us have but if we really stop and look, and I mean, I love using this as an example, right? When, I mean, if I were to look five, six years ago and tell you where I was going to be, what I was going to be doing today, 
I never could have guessed it. I never could have planned for this to happen. When I was 18, where I was at when I was 25, 22, 30, 40, and now in my 50s, I would have never guessed I would be here at any of those stages. I never could have planned for it. But that's the unknown, right? Because we don't know where we're going. And yet when we get in situations like this, it becomes so focused that that's all we obsess about. And when we think about the time that we obsess on this, what are we losing out on? What opportunities are we losing out on to create? And that to me is like the, the fascinating thing about what this book is, is about. It's about looking at these fears and understanding when we really can identify what's a rational fear. And by rational, I guess I should stop and, and kind of explain how I'm defining the rational and irrational. Rational fear to me is, um, you know, you're going to cause yourself, and this is in very simple terms, but you're going to cause yourself death or serious bodily harm or to others, right? I mean, it doesn't, doesn't just have to be to you. So that's like I'm, I'm hiking with my friend walking along a cliff in a national park, and I'm rationally afraid that if I fall off that cliff, that could be the end of it. Or that you actually um, are not afraid and you do take that step over and you don't have a parachute or a, a wingsuit or whatever you call those. I don't do any of these extreme sports, so I'm not sure of the, <laughs> the technical names. But you, know, but you actually take that, that leap because you're not scared of what's going to happen, right? But, okay. but rationally, we know what's going to happen if we don't have those things. So that's why I say we need fear to protect us from those situations. Because if we di truly didn't have any fear, we would just walk off that cliff without thinking that anything bad could happen to us. And something we could probably end up dying if we do something like that. Now, to your example of walking close to a cliff when you're hiking, you know, you can probably look at with your knowledge and experience, um, how loose the terrain is around there, how narrow the path is, um, you know, are there overhangs that you're going to have to go from a walking erect position to crawling, um, and try and evaluate in your mind how, how rational that fear can be, right? Because if I'm not used to doing this, it's probably not a good idea for me to try and navigate some of these situations. Um, but if we're used to doing it, we feel very comfortable just walking along that edge because we know we're not going to walk over and we have confidence in ourselves that we can go there. But I think anytime you're looking at the situation, you're, that's like an irrational fear of what could happen, right? Not because it's unknown what will happen. So this, the irrational is what the could and the rational is what will, if that makes sense. So for me, like a lot of irrational fears are um, your irrational fear of public speaking, um, an irrational fear of not looking good enough, an irrational fear of not having enough money, um, an irrational fear of, um, of I, I mean, I can just go into so many different situations, but it's kind of like an irrational fear of, of fear of, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. If you're, if you're fearful of that, or you're stressed about it, or you have anxiety about it, that is an irrational fear. Um, and rational fears are things like walking off that cliff, stepping in front of an oncoming train, sticking your hand in a pot of boiling water. These are all things that will hurt you, you know, even punching a tiger in the face. I mean, 
you know, we know, even though most of us haven't had that experience, but we can guess what's going to happen is we are going to be attacked if we do that, right? And so it doesn't make any sense for us to do that because it's those primal fears. And the reason why we want those is one, because they protect us, they keep us alive and they keep us, keep us healthy. The other thing that, that we, if we actually start identifying what's rational and irrational, we can then begin to take, and I'm sure you've, you can think in, in really extreme situations. If you've ever, um, bungee jumped, if you've ever jumped out of an, an airplane with a parachute, um, for me, maybe it's, uh, going on a roller coaster, right? It's that, that sense of, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then you do it. And whether you're bungee jumping, going down that first hill on a roller coaster, taking that first, you know, couple seconds out of the plane, you are so freaked out. But then that sense of adrenaline comes up in this rush and you're like, oh my gosh, I've never felt anything like this before. I love this feel. And you don't love the feel of first doing, but you love the feel that, that it's generating for you after you do it. And so when we start looking at like professional athletes and public speakers and, you know, people that are performing even in, in a workplace, right? Like you could be nervous about a project that you got to present on, but, and you, you're fearful of it all the way up until the time you, you start presenting, but that fear actually helps you generate the, the adrenaline and the, the enthusiasm that you can then convey into what you're, you're presenting, what you're creating, what you're doing. Um, and that is, I think, what helps propel us forward. It's, it's, it's because we can have that conversation with our fear, understand that it is just irrational, that we know why it's showing up and what it's trying to do for us, but it's not going to hold us back. It's not going to control us. It's not going to tell us who to be or how to be. We are still in control of that, but we can let it help kind of move us into a situation where we're actually better than what we could have been without it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I like that example because you can kind of like, it's it's that idea of becoming aware of it, of becoming outside of it and then how to, how to use it for good. I, I'm curious, you, you've had such a, a really cool kind of varied career in, in community management and always, you've always struck me as someone who's always connecting people and trying to create community of, of all types. Um, where, I guess you've never struck me as someone who's appears to be afraid of a lot of things. Where did the idea of fear enter your life to the point where you wanted to write, you know, a book about it and kind of really dive into it? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's kind of funny you say that I don't ha- I don't come across as having fear because I am probably one of the most fearful people that I know. Um, and I just don't externally share that or show that in too many different ways. But I mean, for as much of a networker as I am, um, I remember early on when I first started, I would actually drive to networking events, sit in my car for 10 minutes and talk myself into not going and turn around and drive home. I mean, that's how afraid I was of putting myself out there in a group of people that I didn't know. You actually drove home? I mean, you actually talked yourself out and then and then left? Yes. I've, I never even went into oh, the wow. building where the, where the event was. And I've done that several times. <laughs> Wow, what what were you telling yourself? Like, what was the 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 argument against yourself of you know why you should not go in there? 
Well, it, it was very irrational. I mean, I can look at that now and almost laugh at it, but it was just basically saying that, you know, you don't have the right to be here. Nobody's going to want to hear what you have to say. Um, everybody's going to be looking at you because they all know each other and you're the outsider. Um, I mean, it was just things like that, that just, it, it was so paralyzing for me that it just kept me inside. And I think the, the thing that turned that around, it was actually when I was in real estate in Chicago and just starting to network on social media and I was really active on social media, but the first networking event I went to, um, in this kind of new way that I said, okay, I'm going to change the way I am. I'm not going to let that fear hold me back. I'm going to actually going to go out and do what I do online and do it in person. It was, um, it was a real estate thing run by, um, Kit Mueller. And I remember who he was and I'm, I'm still connected with him. And I, even though he's in Pittsburgh now, um, the thing about it was, was he always had his face on all of the social media accounts and he was running this networking group. And I always had my face on social media accounts and I was very active on social media. So I walk into this, this event and I didn't know a person. I didn't, you know, connect with anybody beforehand, say anything. I had only known that Kit was the organizer of this thing and that I was connected with them online and I was going to go in. What happened was as soon as I gave them my name, he just made, he, he made eye contact with me from the back of the room and across everybody said, Tim McDonald, there you are. And he came over and gave me a handshake. And I said, how did you know who I was? And he goes, because you're one of the few people that actually put your face on the social media accounts. He goes, I, and you look exactly the way you are in person. And this is, you know, what I love about what you do. And I was just like, all of a sudden I was at ease because I went from not knowing anybody to knowing somebody. And that kind of showed me what the power of social media was when we use it in this way that we show up as who we are is we can put ourselves out there because even though we've never met somebody in person, social media, if we use it the right way, is real life. It's not this fake persona that we put out there. It's not something that we, we claim to be something we're not. If we use this tool the right way, we can actually make meaningful connections online. And then when we get the chance to meet in person, I mean, I've kind of evolved into this whole thing now of saying, you know, social media is the handshake. And when we meet in person, it's the hug. And, and, but that was one of the first moments that I actually went to a networking event that kind of changed my, my perspective. And it was all because Kit recognized who I was, came up and introduced himself and kind of gave me credit for what I did. And from that point on, um, no matter how fearful I was of going into a place where I didn't know people, I, it, I didn't let it hold me back from that moment forward. I think that also speaks to, um, and I think we hear this a lot, but when you have that fear, whatever it is, that very first time that you try to overcome it, um, you normally, I feel like, can, once you actually do it that first time, you have this like overwhelming feeling of relief almost, of like, oh, wait, this wasn't as bad as I thought. And I think in your case, like that connection of like Kit almost like being there through it with you and kind of like easing you into it of like, yeah, this is, I'm right here. It's fine. You know, like I, I wonder if that, that helped too. But 
I, I find myself in that situation so many times where it's like, and, and others around me, like if you just take that first step, which, which feels like impossible, but after you get past that first step, I feel like the fear just dramatically decreases. Like you're now like 90% more into this than you ever would have been. Oh, absolutely. And, and before I, I mean, years before I started writing this book, um, I had actually drawn a, drawn a picture and it's, it's not a great image, but it's very vivid. It has the word fear in big block letters with like monster faces and claws and big teeth, you know, kind of staring you down as you look at it. And then right below that, I just have like a, a gray outline of the word fear in, in reverse with a person looking back at it with a big smile on their face. And I think what it does is fear tries to present itself in a way that is so big and scary and real. And a lot of times I think our fear knows that we need rational fear. So even though it's irrational, it makes us think that it's rational. And it does a good job at masking itself, hiding itself and showing us up as something else. And when we can actually look at that and have an honest conversation with our fear and remind it that we know what it's doing, we know that it's just trying to do this, all of a sudden we can use those examples that you just shared and that I just shared and we can say, no, we've been in this situation before. And every time we've had a greater feeling after we did it than before. So please don't show up and tell me that I can't do this because I know that I want to try doing this. And if I do get hurt, at least this is the conversation I have with my fear. If I do get hurt, I will let you come back and say, I told you so. But until then, let me try this. Let me do this. Let me create this. And that has been like the greatest gift I've given myself. Now, I'm not perfect at this by any means, <laughs> but but that None is of us such are, a right? It's a it's such a true thing, Tim. It's such a true thing that we generally are at, we're we're feeling something. We're we're experiencing something that we never would have done before once we kind of work through that fear and see it from a different perspective. But oftentimes fear just stays in a way where we never get to experience that. Is it fear that like I'm listening to you and and I'm on board here. Is it fear as this like separate entity that we're dealing with or is fear just us in our minds? Like are we really confronting this third party or are we just confronting like is it just looking in the mirror? I'm wondering this as I hear you talk cuz I'm wondering like <laughs> cuz you know what like, I mean like are we're we're manifesting you know it's like we're creating this this being that that is now um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, hindering us. We're we're kind of creating this. You can't do this. You will die, or you will get hurt, or you will get your heart broken. You know, you cannot do this. And I'm just thinking out loud. Like, is it is it a third party, or is it just me telling myself this? Well, I think it's you, but. I think that when we, I, I want to be careful in how I say this so people don't get it the wrong way, but I think if we can acknowledge that we all have an ego and we all have the, and that ego shows up as different voices in our heads, um, but that ego is part of who we are, right? It's not separate from us. It's part of who we are. So yes, we are creating it, but we need to understand that there's different voices and that are showing up as part of who we are. 
and that we don't have to be slaves to those voices. We can actually work with those voices and help us create and go in a direction and on a path that we want to go. How much of the ability to deal with fear and confront our fears that you just talked about come from these, you know, the different sides of us? How much, I don't want to say easier, but like if I have someone, if I have a partner, if I have a husband, a wife, uh, a really good friend, if I have someone there with me, is it is it that much easier for me to confront fear? Am I going to be able to tackle this fear in half the time than if I didn't have someone with me? Or, or is it still just us versus ourselves? I'm just wondering this. Yeah, no, I think it's it's very unique to each of us. But you've just nailed two of the three things that that I I talk about as far as how people use fear as an advantage. One is that awareness, right? When you become aware of your fears and whether they're rational or irrational. But the second thing is this whole sense of community. If we we still have to take that that those steps ourselves. But if we're around people that can kind of hold our hand because they know, because they've gone through their own fears in a similar situation, and they can give us some guidance to say, I know you're going to get hurt. I know this is going to be painful. I know that you're going to be able to achieve what you're going to achieve because I've seen it. I've done it. But that doesn't mean that just because I say it means it's going to be for you. You need to still go through that journey yourself. But that makes it so much easier because the third element of this is this whole sense of time, right? The longer we let fear sit with us, the more it it has a chance to kind of take over and paralyze us from taking action. And so, so having that, that, that sense of community, that friend, that partner, that, you know, that mentor with you to be able to kind of hold your hand, but not take the steps for you can help us really take that next step a lot quicker and not let fear kind of take over and keep us stuck where we are. I love that third aspect, time. I just wrote that down. I wrote down in shorthand, the longer you wait, the worse it gets. But <laughs> I never I never thought about that. That's so true. It's almost like this, not a ticking time bomb, but it's almost like a, I don't know what that is, like a half-life or something. But it, I, I can imagine like the longer you let these fears sit, you know what I think it is? It's because we're going to, I don't know if you're like me, but you're going to keep keep talking to yourself about this and you're going to keep building it up and making it worse. And especially if you're not talking to anybody else about this, if you're just doing this in your head, it's like you're gonna, it's going to get exponentially worse, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I remember one person I interviewed for the book was uh, Sarah Evans. And, you know, she was talking about the fear she gets when she gives talks. And I was listening because I do speaking as well. And a big part of what I've learned in interviewing people is not to try and interject my story into what they're telling me because I'm interviewing them for the book for their stories. (laughs) But when she said this, she was like, I get so excited when somebody gives me a speaking opportunity. And then as it gets closer, I get more and more fearful. Even though I've done this many times before, the closer it gets to the event, the more fear kind of steps in and starts telling me how I'm not going to be good enough, how I'm not going to deliver the right message, how people aren't going to receive it the right way. And then I start questioning myself more and more as I get closer to talking until the moment I get up on stage and then I'm fine. 
And when she said that to me, I did, I was just like, I was thinking to myself, I am exactly the same way. I am, I am so grateful when I get the opportunity and, and my wife knows this about me because this is the second time when we just, when I spoke down in Mexico that she's been with me for one of the talks I gave and, and she knows like, don't mess with me like the night before I'm giving a talk or the morning of, you know, I just need to be in my own space because I'm running through everything and I'm doing my routine. But she, I mean, after the first time she, she said the second time she goes, yeah, you're a little nervous about this, right? You're a little scared of what's going to happen. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm talking to CIOs. I've never talked to a group of CIOs. I'm, I'm giving a brand new talk that I've never given before. I'm sharing stories that I've never shared before. But then I reminded myself, and when I was talking with my own fear, that all the stories I was sharing were personal ones. They were things that I've done, things that I've experienced, and things that I knew. They weren't anything that I needed to memorize. And and as soon as I kind of, this was the most confident I felt the morning I gave the talk out of any other speak speaking engagement I've ever had. And I think it's because I've kind of learned and I'm, I'm grateful that Sarah shared that with me because it helped me recognize what I was going through myself. And then I was able to have a different conversation with my fear going through this talk and help me kind of really let it go a lot quicker and not let it show up as much but still be able to hit that and, you know, come off with a really good, good talk at the end of the day, which I was very excited about and very proud of, and I think was received very well. So, you know, it's this whole thing of, of time. And generally, the more time we give ourselves, the more time fear has to come and sit in, but it doesn't mean that it needs to stay that way. We can always take different steps of action that help remind fear that we're still taking the action and it can't take over because we're giving it time. And I think, you know, I think I'm similar to giving presentations and, you know, I, I, I enjoy speaking in front of people. Um, I don't necessarily have a fear of public speaking like a lot of people uh, I think do. But like you said, every time I get up there, I'm still nervous until I get into the flow. You have the same fears. Um, the people you spoke to at the book, I've listened to podcasts with you know people who act for a living. Um, I, I've spoken to people on this podcast with people who act for a living. They have the same fears. I I almost just want to like let let us all know that if we're all having this at all these levels of professionalism and in different journeys in our lives, and you know from the people who are up there every day speaking in front of people to get they get paid to do that and they're still nervous every time. I guess this is normal, right? Like even though we're all afraid every time it turns out we're not the only ones like this is to- this must just be wired into us as humans because if we're all experiencing this this has to be normal oh it's it's so normal and i think getting back to your point of you know why am i writing this book right it's because we're not having a conversation about this too many people in my mind are saying we need to become fearless and i don't think it's a matter of becoming fearless i think it's about we need that rational fear to protect us. So we don't want to be totally fearless. We don't need to overcome our fear because in reality, fear never leaves us. It's part of who we are. But what we can do is kind of change that relationship with it. And we, you know, we've given some, some kind of extreme examples that not everybody's going to be able to relate to, right? Not everybody's an actor. Not everybody's a public speaker that gets paid for doing what they do. But I mean, think about being, being an employee in a company and having the fear to speak up in a meeting and share an idea that you have that 
nobody else has ever shared. You know, think about the fear you have when you go in and want to ask for a raise. Um, think about the fears you have when you want to apply for another job or a transfer to a different location or a different department. I mean, these are things that people deal with day in and day out that don't involve, you know, these extraordinary circumstances that only a handful of people do. And, and that's why this is so important is because it really, you know, I mean, when I talked to the CIOs, it was really about the fear on their teams, right? That they have with their teams, how can they change their actions to really establish a body of trust and not fear with their teams? And, and it was like, as soon as I started sharing some examples with them, all of a sudden the light bulb went off of, wow, nobody's ever talked to us about this. We've never thought of it this way, but it's prevalent in our daily lives. It's prevalent in our work lives. It's prevalent every aspect of our life. I think fear shows up somehow. Now, the more often you do something, it's kind of like riding a bike, right? The first couple of times you might fall down, but the more you do it, then you start riding with no hands and, you know, standing up and doing wheelies and everything. And then you don't ride a bike for 30 years and you get back on, you didn't forget how to ride it, but you're certainly not going with no hands and you're certainly not doing any wheelies. You're, you're kind of getting your balance back again, but it's the same thing with situations with fear is the more frequently we do situations, the less fearful they become because we build up that confidence muscle in what we're doing and fear doesn't have a chance to take over because our confidence knows that regardless of what's fear telling us, confidence knows better. And we, we know that, and we recognize that and go with that. But in these unknown situations, fear can really jump in, in these situations where we've never done it before. And that's, I think, why it's so important to have these conversations, because it's something that all of us deal with. It really is. And I love what you said about not becoming, or it's not a matter of becoming fearless and it's not necessarily about overcoming our fear. I think that is, that's spot on because I mean, you know, and, and you've given a lot of great examples in kind of a professional and business setting. And we've talked about a couple examples there, but you can even think about like your personal life. I mean, if you have a loved one who has gotten sick and you are afraid that you might lose them, I mean, that's a very valid fear. And that's unfortunately a valid outcome. Like there's a chance that could happen. And I'm sure that's where the fear comes from. But to suggest that, you know, I want to get rid of that fear or I want to erase that fear and no longer be afraid of that, I don't know if that's the healthiest thing because, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's something to that. Like you are, it's a feeling you have. It's part of your emotion. It's part of being human. It's to almost try and erase this emotion from our mind. Um, and to your point, you know, you're, you're suggesting how we can harness this and how we can actually use it to make us stronger. Uh, I would hate to just erase that. You know, it's like a tool from the tool belt that we're just throwing out and deciding, you know, we don't want this tool anymore. Well, and, and I mean, think about in our lives, right? When you date somebody and how fearful you are to like to, to even ask that person out the first time, right? Yes. And then, and then how awkward the conversations are when you're, when you're having them, right? And then if you decide you're going to propose to them, even though you feel like you know what you're going to, what the answer is going to be, I mean, the fear that most people go through when they do a proposal, right? And 
But then I think about it and it's like, when does the relationship really become the strongest? It's when we can have those real conversations about our fears with our partners. Yeah, and, I'd agree with and, that. And, but where is the fear the greatest, right? It all starts on the front end when we're doing those things the first time until we build that trust up to know that whatever we share is not going to ruin our relationship. It's only going to strengthen it. Oh, Tim, you hit that on the head. I mean, I, I feel that, you know, it's like you, I feel like, you know, there's so much texting nowadays, right? Like, uh, especially in the dating scene, it's, you know, a lot of, I think just general communication. We're, we're, we're very much written communication people these days, passive texting and stuff. But just you send a message and then you build up that fear. Uh, it might not be anything, you know, uh, significant necessarily. It might be a simple, I don't know, you know, feeling you're communicating or a simple, I don't know, opinion or something, but just that fear of like, did I just ruin it? Like, did I just share enough of myself? Was I vulnerable enough where I wanted to try this out, but I just totally tanked this? Like I torpedoed it? I feel or like that's just a or, or not thing. enough. <laughs> or, yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, exactly. It, or was this too surface level? It, and it's been, you know, it's been a while since I've been on the dating scene, but I mean, I, I mean, I remember going through this and I, I have lots of friends that were on the dating scene and it was like, you know, oh, you know, we had a really great time last night. How long should I wait to call? Or when should I, he call me? And when's it going to yes. be bad? And, yes. you know, it's like, it's all these things that it's like, okay, if you want to call, just pick up the phone and call, you know, <laughs> there's no right or wrong. It's like, just do it. And I think that's what we start looking at is, you know, we look, we, we look for others to tell us how we should be. And I think the greatest thing is when we start looking at ourselves and trusting ourselves and having these earned internal conversations and becoming more self-aware of who we are as a whole person is when we're able to truly start experiencing and living lives on our terms instead of somebody else's. How, how does your, I'm thinking, how does your wife kind of um, help you with your fears? Like, is it something that you in her like directly address or is it more something that just as you live your life um, together, that when you come across something you're afraid of, like just having her at your side will help you get through it? I'm curious how that works like for you. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm very fortunate that, you know, this is my second marriage and, and we have just grown closer as, as two people over the years that we've been together um, to the point now where, I mean, she can just help me when I know that I'm getting stressed out about something, she can just look at me and remind me just to take a, a deep breath or to step back for a minute. And before I didn't want to take her, her advice. I just wanted to do my own thing and deal with it myself. And, and she's just seen me go through that situation. And one of my favorite quotes is from Einstein that says, if you keep doing the same thing and expect different results, that's a definition of insanity. I love that and one too. When I look at that, it's like, I keep going through these same situations that get me stressed in the same way and deal with them the same exact manner. And yet I'm expecting something different to happen. And all she's trying to do is tell me, do something different. If you want a different result, do something different. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts in our relationship is this whole aspect of knowing each other, know when we can say something, know how to say something that is effective communication with, with each other 
that helps us move through these situations. And I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of um, she's much more of a planner and a um, a conservative person than I am. And I'm much more of a fly by the seat of my pants. And, you know, if I got it, spend it type of person. So we're total opposites on that. But, you know, when she was not, she was going to want to leave her job. And I remember her telling me, she goes, I need to find something else. And I said, why? And she goes, because we need that income. And at the time we were doing, and we still are doing an eBay business. And I said, well, why don't you just join what I'm doing? I'm making enough where we can cover our expenses with both of us doing it. We can increase our, our revenue and you don't need to go get another job. And the beautiful thing was, is she did that and she hasn't gone back to work in the last three years. It was a very difficult thing for her to do, but because she had the trust in me to talk to her in a way that she would be able to relate to and give her the comfort that she and the trust that she needed in herself to be able to make it happen was what made that possible. Something just came to mind now from from what we were just talking about. I so much of what I've learned, from, well, not so much. One of the big things I've learned from doing this podcast, and it's been so relevant to my life personally, and that's probably why it sticks, is this idea of what you just described about um, you know change and and the definition of or that. I love that quote. You know, if you keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting the same thing, that's the definition of insanity. There's that it's not going to happen. And how important it is then in those situations, if what you truly need is change to go ahead and, and make change, I'm thinking now, like I'm connecting that theme here to, to your work on fear. And it's like, is it often the case that we can actually apply that idea to fear? And if, if I'm consistently afraid of this and I'm consistently afraid of the outcome, what do I have to change to alter that now? Like if I change something, is that the key to, to getting past it? I'm, I'm wondering that now. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it is part of the whole process, right? And I think the thing that holds us up is trying to identify what we need to change. The great thing about doing the same thing over and over again, it's not what we need to change. It's just that we need to change something. And if that doesn't work, we need to change something else. And if that doesn't work, we need to change something else. And so it's not about having the answer. It's just about doing something different. And, and that to me is the biggest thing. I mean, it's the biggest thing that we need to get over is we don't need to have the answers. We just need to try something new. I think that's the key right there. Thank you, Tim. That's like the money quote right there. Um, I love that so much. So, what you know your own personal journey here with like fear what do you feel or where do you feel you are at in that journey like has this work um kind of diving into this book deciding to write a book about it and diving into interviews and research and and really getting deep into the subject have you felt like you are in a more comfortable place with fear now personally in your life or is this something where you just feel okay fear is always going to be a part of my life but i'm more equipped now to coexist with it? Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of chuckling in my head as you were asking me this question, because I, I think the closer we get to something and the more aware we become of, of something, the more 
the more we challenge ourselves to dive deeper into it. And I think that there's a fine line between where I'm at with being able to say, I'm, you know, I'm better equipped to deal with it and I'm experiencing more of it at the same time, you know, <laughs> um, because, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> because I, I realize, I, I mean, the, the fascinating thing about writing the book was, you know, I talked to a lot of people that I, I have known for years, you know, whether it be through networking or social media and the stories that they told me were things that I never knew about them and connected me with them in a way that I just felt like I had known them, you know, all these years, but all of a sudden now I knew them in a completely different way. And some people that I talked to for the first time were sharing stories that made me feel like I've been connected with these people forever because they're not something that you'd read on their blog or hear in a normal podcast. And it just was this, this whole human element of how we can connect as people. Um, so, so to answer your question, um, I do feel a lot better equipped to deal with it. I feel like it's, it's definitely helped me in a lot of the situations where fear has maybe held me back or not let me achieve what I wanted to achieve, um, you know, in ways that I've now kind of limited that and had a conversation with my fear that, that subsided the amount of anxiety that I was feeling during some of these times. So I definitely feel like the, writing this book has, has helped me advance in my relationship with fear. But I will also say that it's really alerting my senses to when fear is present and starting to understand when fear is rational and when fear is irrational. And like I said earlier, just because it's irrational doesn't mean that it's going to show up as irrational. A lot of times it shows up as rational. And so it's it's kind of, you know, just like with, with a partner or, you know, a, a spouse that you have, you just can't call bullshit and expect your relationship to grow. If you want to keep talking, you need to be civil and and invite another conversation down the road. And so my conversations with fear can't just be you're full of shit. It needs to be I understand what you're saying, but here's why I don't feel that way and here's the experiences that we've been through and those conversations now happen a lot quicker than when I first started this whole journey a few years ago of dealing with my fear in an, in a new way, it, it really has become something where I didn't have to force these conversations back then where now it's just like almost something I do in my head as they're happening. I bet that feels good. I mean, you know, it feels more comfortable way to live. I would imagine being able to be aware of that now. Well, I, I, you know, it's kind of funny though. I mean, it is in a, in a big way, but I always say, you know, if people just tuned in and listened to that one little last part, they would probably say this guy needs to be put in a straitjacket, right? <laughs> and he's talking to the voice in his head. And that's what we, re we refer crazy people as, is they have these voices in their head. But the matter of the, the, the world is, is that we're all a little crazy. And we all have these voices in our head. My wife said she didn't. When we were on the holidays, we were down at Clearwater Beach. She told me something. I asked why. And she goes, well, I just feel like I'm not capable of this. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense because you've done this, you've done that, and you've done this. And she goes, yeah, I guess that's just what my fear is telling me. And I'm like, so you do have voices telling you <laughs> what's happening. And, <laughs> and you know, so it, it's it's this whole thing of, you know, of understanding that this is okay. This is natural. It doesn't make you crazy. 
And I think that's the hardest part is because it's not part of the conversation is that sometimes when people want to share this stuff, they're going to think their, their irrational fear is going to step in and tell them that other people are going to think they're crazy and not give their ideas validity. And what I want to share to everybody is that you're not crazy, not crazy to the point where you're going to be taken away. You're just a normal human being. And this is something that we all go through. We all have our different, different paths that we take, but it's all very similar. And there's somebody else out there that has gone through or been where you're at that can tell you it's going to be okay. You're going to make it through this. And if we can find those people and connect those people, it really helps everybody be able to not only establish those, those relationships that didn't exist before, but it also helps us be freer to live the lives that we choose to live instead of being paralyzed by the, the lives that our fear is telling us to have, because this is what society, this is what you know, schools, this is what churches, this is what politicians and government tell us how we should live instead of us choosing our own lives. I could not have put in better words. This reminds me of, I don't know if you've seen, I discovered this show not too long ago on Netflix called Mortified. And they have like two seasons, a couple episodes each, but it's this, um, every episode they have a couple different topics and it's these live performances where they have people come up and read from their journals from like high school or college or much earlier points in their lives about these various topics and <clears throat> i forgot the exact phrasing but at the end of the episode to wrap it up they just do this montage of, of talking to all these people saying like you know we lived it we survived it we were mortified or something but then the end they're like we survived it and it just kind of what you just wrapped up of this idea of like, we're all in this together. You're not alone. You're not crazy. This is totally normal. And the sooner we can all understand that and be willing to talk about it and help each other, the easier it's going to be on all of us. Yeah. I like that. Now you can, crazy is the new normal, right? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Tim, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been a fantastic conversation and I I can't wait to share this. I've learned so much and when I learn so much, I get excited because then I hope others get to learn too. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure and I, I can't wait to share the book with you and, and everybody listening. Thanks for listening to We're Only Human. Please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app, rate and review us and share this episode with a friend. Thanks.